changing the game is a discipleship where you take responsibility, where you take ownership, where you recognize that God is in you. We sang about it this morning. God is in you. Therefore, it's your responsibility to disciple yourself. Now, you have involvement with other people, pastors, leaders in your life, respected people in your life. They will help you, and you can help yourself, and you can access resources. But ultimately, as a church this year, and I believe this has been happening, we've been discipling ourselves. We've been concentrating and focusing about developing ourselves as Christians. Now, the message I'm bringing today strangely, in some ways, isn't even from the New Testament. The message I'm bringing today is an Old Testament story that I believe has great parallels to not only the New Testament when Jesus was around, but also today and this topic today of discipleship, or shall we call it for the sake of today, change the game discipleship. The kind of discipleship that perhaps you have been undergoing and and, and you've been sort of pursuing this year, and if you haven't really been around this year, that vision isn't, that, that focus Although we may not be focusing this year, we should, as a life ambition, be focusing on our discipleship. We should be constantly looking at our relationship with God and building ourselves and growing ourselves. So this doesn't stop today. This, if you haven't been doing this, just start from today and it's absolutely fine. Um, and hear the vision on um, in a few Sundays' time and that will build upon where we have gone. But anyway, in Old Testament, the passage I'm reading is 2 Kings 4. Today, And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it would take me a while to do it. So I'm going to summarize sections and jump around and, and move through. But that's pretty much today's preach. And it comes from um, Kings. So Sam, the, the, there's sort of six books. Or you could, in, in their original translations, there were three. You've got your um, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. They document in the Old Testament from the very first king of Israel, Saul, all the way through to when Israel was taken over by the Babylonians. So the whole king kingdom history of the nation of Israel. Now, within that is a lot of documentation about kings and and those that did well, and in the majority of cases, those kings that did really badly. Sin, worshipping idols, sexual immorality, all sorts of bad stuff the majority of the kings were involved with. But also, the other main characters throughout these books, and particularly in kings, you've got kings And you've got prophets, men and women of God, people who had this relationship with God. They could speak and declare words, and they happened, whether it be at that time or in the future. So there were prophets, and one such prophet today, which I'm focusing upon, is a man called Elisha. Elisha, not Elijah. He was like Elijah's apprentice. So next came Elisha, Elisha. So we're talking today about a man of God, a prophet called Elisha. So, to begin, let's start with the first part of the story in 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. So, one day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. It's just past Bentley and on... (laughs) Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. It goes on. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops him from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room. Let's build an extension. 
for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay wherever he comes by. So we'll just stop there. Quite a nice story, but slightly interesting. So a man of God comes by regularly. Therefore, let's build an extension. He can have a room where he can come and refresh and have a rest when he's, when he's on his long journeys. So as a link to discipleship, I know it's an Old Testament story, but there's certainly links. There's certainly links to Elisha in his life, the miracles that he performed, the things that he did and said, certainly links to him and Jesus. I know it's not the same, but there's a link. So in the, for the context of this story, think of Elisha as you interacting with God or with Jesus. So the woman is you. So the woman is having an interaction with Elisha. You are having an interaction with Jesus, which in many ways is what discipleship is all about. Now, the other element is the house, the temple within you. You have your own temple. You have your own structure within you, your own relationship, your personal relationship with God that isn't mine, that isn't anyone else's. It is your house. So that's how we can link it to discipleship. And the story goes on. Um, Elisha's quite happy that he's got his own room. He's sort of chilling in his, in his new room, and he's got his, arm, his legs on the sofa, he's on the bed, and he's talking to his servant, and he says, this is really generous. What should we do to repay this woman back? And they go to her, and, they, and she says, oh, oh, I don't need anything. I'm, you know, I'm well looked after. And Elisha you know, speaks to his servant at a later time and sort of says, is she for real? Surely there's nothing we can do to repay her for this kindness. And her, his servant says, well, actually, she's not got a son. And actually, her husband is, is very old. You know, he's possibly on his last legs. She could at one point very soon be a widow without a son. And significance is that a son is like gold dust to a woman in, those, in that culture. Because the son, when the father dies, the son will be the one that looks after the widow. The one that financially in, ensures security and stability for that person. And without a son, she could be left on her own. She has a need, but she, for some reason, she didn't mention it. So eventually... Uh, they get to the point, um, and I think we'll pick this up in verse 16, or verse 15, I think, Jess. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, and this is a significant sentence, Elisha said to her, as she stood in the doorway of this new room that they built for him, next year, at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. Wow. No, my Lord. She cried, oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But he doesn't deceive her. She, nine months later roughly, has a son. But unfortunately, the story takes a tragic turn for the worse, almost unexpectedly. She's got the promise. She's got the son. She's got the miracle. It's happened shortly after he's out in the field. He gets a headache and he falls dead. The promise, the son, her security, her life, it's gone. In an instant. So what does she do? And we'll read the story from verse 21. She carried him up to the room and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and, and, and come right back. She didn't crumble. Her discipleship, she didn't redecorate the room and say, right, this room that I made for this man of God, he lied to me. My son is now dead, therefore I'm going to knock it down. I hate him. She didn't do much other than 
put her son in the place that she knew he should be, shut the door, and knew where she had to go. She'd learned something in the principle and the process before of having her encounters and her interactions with Elisha, or if you related to yourself, the relationship that she developed over the years with Jesus, when tragedy and crisis came, she knew exactly what to do. She didn't flap, she didn't crumble. And the story goes on in verse 32, which is where I finished, 32 to 36. So she's gone and got him, long story short. When Elisha arrived back at the house, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him. Again, this this door, this room is significant. And prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child. This is a bit bizarre. (laughs) Placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes. No wonder he shut the door. And his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once and then stretch himself out again on the child. My favorite bit of the story, and this is me regularly sneezing. <laughs> this time, the boy sneezed seven times. You know, when you sneeze once, that's kind of loud, but seven in a row. And then he opened his eyes, <laughs> and the boy is alive. Then Elijah summoned his servant, Gehazi. Call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elijah said, here, take your son. Bada bing, bada boom. (laughs) Change the game. So in the context of discipleship, that's an Old Testament story, but how do we link that to now? How do we link that to change the game and discipleship? What does it look like? Now I have to now for a a brief moment, let you enter my brain. Only for a few seconds. And I've done it in a visual diagram. I spent yesterday just trying to do a little visual diagram to explain what I mean. Now, here it is. In the middle, it's change the game. Um, Now, if this freaks you out, there's too much on there. Don't worry. It's only going to be on here for a few seconds. But I'm going to be talking today about four layers to discipleship or change the game discipleship. Really briefly about each layer. The first one is the invitation layer. The second one is the expansion layer. The third one is the conviction layer. And the fourth one is the progression layer. Now, this is a a glimpse into how I would try and define discipleship. Um, There's probably more. There's there's certainly more to discipleship. But this is how, from this scripture, I relate to discipleship. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm one of those. And that could be right. But that could change. Over your life, you could be in any one of those at any given time. In fact, I would say one isn't better than the other. Probably the, for most of us, the starting place is invitation. We start there, but we can go and jump between. Maybe you can be in kind of one or two different stages of your life at different points. And I'll explain what each of them are in just a moment. Um, but that is, in my mind, <laughs> a visual description of what I was thinking when I read this passage. The layers, as you may notice, and as I get on to explain, they get progressively deeper. So there's one element of discipleship which is peripheral, that it's sort of, um, it's on the surface. And then discipleship, as you've probably experienced at various different degrees of your life as a Christian, it goes deeper. There's a depth to discipleship that we all go through. 
It doesn't mean um, if you've been a Christian for 25, 50 years, however long you've been, it doesn't mean that you don't go back to stage the invitation layer. So let me explain. So that's the rest of today's message. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes unpacking what I think about discipleship with these given titles. Does that make sense? (laughs) So that was just a diagram to sort of map out what my brain is looking like. At first I thought about stages, you know, you go from one to the other to the other, but no, it's more like layers. If you were to peel back a Christian, you would have these different layers, like an onion of discipleship. So the best place to start is, in my opinion, with invitation. So we'll begin with invitation. So where the, the part of the story that I get for this is verse 8. So if we could just flash that on the screen. Thanks, Jess. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home. She invited him whenever he passed by. As a Christian, for most of us in the room, there's probably a point in time where you first invited Jesus in. And you said, you know what, Jesus? I want you in my life, and I'm going to do my best. But times... Um, change. Sometimes life happens and sometimes you feel away from God and you you feel like you need to invite him back in and you need to, again, you need to tidy up the house. You need to do the vacuuming. I'm the worst. If we ever have a small group at our house, the day before, I don't know what it is. Normally it's the female that's the more OCD, but I'm kind of just cleaning the I'm not just hoovering. I'm looking, oh, that, that wall needs decorating. That furniture needs fixing. Oh, I need to do that. I haven't done that job. I'm, and then before I know it, I'm, I'm just hoovering the lounge for the for small group. And I've, I've like redecorated the whole house. <laughs> and then I, I, get, I get bored and Steph has to finish it. <laughs> Steph is the, the more sociable one of the two. You might see me on stage and think, oh, Ben's really sociable. He's outgoing. No, I'm not. I'm a hermit. <laughs> People are sometimes an inconvenience. I'd rather just be with me and my own thoughts. Now, Steph has this lovely habit of inviting people around and thank you for coming, but I just like my privacy. <laughs> now, this, this woman is from Shunem, the woman from Shunem, invites Elisha around regularly. It's not just a one-off, have some, have some tea and go on. She's got into this habit of inviting the man of God into her life. We should never, ever ever grow tired of inviting Jesus into our life. We should never think, oh, I've made it now as a Christian. I am grade A. I am beyond the invitation stage. I don't need a friend. I don't need a companion. I don't need a confidant. I don't need someone to come and counsel me. I'm all right on my own. We all need that invitation stage at various points in our life. And if you're sitting here thinking, I've never invited Jesus, I'd like at the end to perhaps give you an opportunity to invite Jesus for the first time. And I assure you, it won't be the last. You'll be regularly, daily, more than once a day, inviting Jesus in prayer, in your activity, in your thought life. But we all need to make sure we tidy up our lives and dust and put the clutter away and get rid of the sin and get rid of the muck and, get, and, and do our best to live our lives right. But the good thing is Jesus would turn up if your house is a state anyway. (laughs) Jesus would turn up even if your life is messed up. He would be right there in the mix of it all. So, you know, the basics, the practical side of this is um, it may just mean that you just need to ask for forgiveness. That invitation, you just need to invite Jesus and ask for forgiveness. It may mean that you just simply need to turn up to church regularly. It might mean that you just need to pick up your Bible more than once a year, just read it or or pray as often as you can it might be that you need to serve in church it might be that you need to 
Find some way of regularly inviting Jesus. Continue inviting God into your life. However, you cannot stay in this layer. This cannot be the only layer of your Christianity because it can become quite routine to, to simply just invite Jesus in for tea and just have a nice conversation. Then he goes, it's a bit like coming to Sunday, coming to church on a Sunday, and then forgetting all about it for the rest of the week, then coming again. There needs to be more to our discipleship than just a one-off occasion. There needs to be more than just the routine and the mundane and just entertaining Jesus like a guest. We need to go deeper than that. If we do the same things over and over, we will not grow. So this woman from Shunem, verse 10, let's build a small room for him on the roof. She builds an extension and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Jesus should do more than just visit our life when it's convenient to us. Jesus should be more than just an occasional bypasser through our week-by-week activity. Jesus should be in everything. Discipleship, changing the game, isn't about going to the priest and then for the rest of the year, you've got a year off and then you need to go and confess and have all your sins forgiven again. It's not like going to the pastor to sort out all your issues. It's not like going to church on one day a week and then for six days a week, you can do what you like. Change the game discipleship means you've got to add something to your life that's a permanent fixture, an extension to your life. It should be God in you. We need to create this space and create the environment so that God cannot just visit our life. And then he goes. But we need to put some things in place so that he stays and he has permanent residence in us. We need to build something. Now, practically, I'm not talking about an actual room. It may be a room. It might be you have a private place every day that you go and pray. It could be. But more likely, it's going to be a structure. So we've talked about courses. You put your name down for a course. And this year, you're going to commit to going to that course every week. This year, it might be that you're going to tell a colleague at work that you're a Christian because you, for many years, you've been afraid to. It could be that you're going to knock on your neighbor's door this year and offer some kindness or, or something. It could be that you're now going to read the Bible for the first time. You're putting some structures. You're building um, an infrastructure. You're putting some systems in place to expand. This is the expansion. Thanks, Jess. The expansion stage or the being on growth. I, as a young Christian, and to some extent still do, but it was so vital as a young Christian in the first few years, I spent, I don't know how or why, but I spent every day, shut the door, no TV, and read the Bible. One verse, two verses, half a chapter, something, just anything to put some expansion, some growth into my life. It's a place where your faith can grow. She was content. Even though she didn't have a son, she was like, oh, I've got no needs. I'm all right. She was clearly content. So this house, this temple with her, she, it, it had brought some relative contentment with her life. But there was more to it. Now, this layer, this expansion, these systems, this practical stuff that you need to do, and it's, it may be just one resolution that you make this year, one thing this year that you are going to do to build an extension to your life, to your discipleship, one thing that is going to allow Jesus to permanently reside in your temple, in your house. It might be a few. It might be more. If, you, if you've been a Christian for many years, you want, you want more. Just because you, you've, you've, you read the Bible every day, just because you 
pray every day, you come to church every week, doesn't mean that there's not more to grow into. Create space to grow. Now this layer, the expansion layer, is essential, in my opinion, to conquer and to handle the third layer that I'm going to talk about, which is the conviction layer. Now conviction, we talk, I'm talking here in the, about the context of Believing in something with conviction. Is your faith something that you believe in? Is Jesus someone you believe in with conviction? That no matter what happens in your life, you're going to believe in Jesus. Because from the story, the promise that she had of a son in an instant was gone. So when tragedy, bereavement, relationship breakdown, bankruptcy, redundancy... Marital breakup, sickness, illness, whatever the circumstance in your life, when that comes along, and unfortunately it will, are you going to crumble, knock down the extension, board it up, put, lock the door, I'm never going back to that place again? Or, like the woman, you've learned the principle by expansion how to deal with tragedy. What does she do? Because Elijah wasn't home. Sometimes you might feel, what do I do when God's not at home? I feel absent. (laughs) What do I do when God's not here? What do I do when I'm I'm not in church? What do I do when I'm not around the pastor? What do I do when I haven't read the Bible for a week? I can't remember any scripture. What do I do in a crisis? What do I do? What does the woman do? In verse 21, she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She knew where to go. She created systems in her life. She created um, space in her life. She regularly read the Bible. She turned up every week to Alpha. She, she was in a small group. She was in some form of relationship where she could go to people and ask them questions. She had these structures in place. She was serving. She was doing the things that discipleship needs. She'd built the expanse. She'd built the extension. So she knew when, when crisis came, she had a place to go. She had a system. She, had, she knew what to do. She went and she clung to the feet of Elisha and, and begged him effectively. And he came and eventually her son came back to life. We sometimes need to return to the room and put our need in the place vacated. Sometimes we need to go back to the place of the promise to get the provision. Sometimes we need to go back a few steps before we go forward. Sometimes we need to look further back. It's good to reflect on the last, the last year. Think about what good ha- God has done in your life. The good things, the things that you've progressed with, the things that you've developed in, the things that you have improved on. And don't dwell on what you haven't got. But sometimes we need to go back. We need to go back to our routine. We need to go back to our daily disciplines, back to what we learned when we were talking to somebody at church, what we learned on the Alpha course, what we learned on various courses that we did when we came to church, or in small group, or Those things are essential for when crisis comes. I mean, a quick, very short story from myself. I I love, I've said this before, I think, from here, but I'll just say it again. I love the beach. I love the sea. I love getting wet. Whatever the time of the year, whatever country, UK, Northern Sea, I don't mind. I'll get clothes off and jump in. (laughs) We were on holiday in Anglesey. And the sea was quite rough. It was cold. But, you know, we're on holiday. So, of course, I'm going in the sea. I don't need a wetsuit. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but anyway, I love the sea. 
And I was in the sea, and it was quite rough. And I think it got progressively rougher, would you say, Steph? There was no one else in the sea. Everyone else was hooded under blankets and shivering. I was in the sea. And I must have spent half an hour, 40 minutes in there. And what was going on there? I thought, I stepped on the shore, and I just thought, I'm going to pray. This is amazing. I didn't, well, I didn't pray. That sounds too religious. I just said, God, this is so good. This is awesome. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity I've got just to just mess about in some water. <laughs> And honestly, I think there was no lifeguard or anything, but I was getting bashed around with the waves, you know, thrown around. I was absolutely probably getting battered. It was probably too dangerous. Um, I was probably on like some, um, some TV show of what not to do on holiday, <laughs> some secret camera show. But anyway, I was doing what you wouldn't advise your children to do. I was swimming in very rough water. And I guess I'm a, a decent swimmer. But anyway, this, this revelation occurred. I was in there and I was like, I felt like a kid. I felt like a child, like a son. Like almost like I was going back to my youth. And I felt as if I was being wrestled, fought against by my dad. And it was, you know what, Ben? You are my son. <laughs> and I am your father. So this is my way of play fighting with you. This, this, this space that I created, and it wasn't like religious. I just prayed when I stepped into the water and thought, God, you're so cool. And then that happened. Little did I know, months, around about a year later, I lost my own dad. And I didn't crumble. I didn't think, there's no space in my life. I'm missing something. I'm missing a father. Because all I needed to do was go back to the room. All I needed to do was go back to the promise Jesus did something similar. He was tempted in the wilderness. He wasn't eating for 40 days. The devil was talking to him and he was being tormented by the devil. A place most of us would want to leave and never go back. But what did Jesus do when things got busy? He withdrew to the wilderness. I don't know exactly if it was the exact same location, but I would use my artistic... um, interpretation and say you know what Jesus went back to the same place where that difficult circumstance happened he went back to the room he went back to where the promise was given so that he could have the provision that he needed for his life sometimes and it may not always be easy you need to go back to what you did I um, as a youngster I used to write down bible verses copy them out as a, as a teenager, copy it. Just I had notebooks and notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of writing, and then I started journaling and just thought, putting my thoughts on paper and, and just prayers and journals. But somewhere down the line, I stopped. I just I, I read my Bible, I pray, and I don't use a pen. And it was this this year I've started with my pen, journaling my thoughts writing down scripture, like I did when I was 14. And I felt as if I needed to go back to the promise because I needed some provision over here for I don't know what yet. But I felt like I needed to do something that I'd done before. I'm not going to stay in one of those layers. It's a constant fluid process. I need to continually revisit. You need to go on a journey like this, this, woman, this woman, woman from Shunem did. But you know what? This stage and this layer can can be discipleship at its most hardest, its most difficult. This separates the real deal, change the game disciples from the no real deal, keep the game the same disciples. When tragedy 
pits, when bereavement, when life happens. What principles have you learned in the room with the door closed? What principles have you learned when you picked up your Bible? What principles have you learned when you attended church weekly? What principles have you learned when you went to small group and you committed and engaged with those people and you treated them like your family? This year, if you don't do any of these things, why not start with one of those things this year? And the final layer, and it's, I guess it's a brief layer, and if I had more time, I'd, I'd go into more detail, but it's a progression layer. There's one verse that I've not read, the end of this story. And it almost, if I was reading it on any other day, it would have been very insignificant. But today, um, it has a lot more significance to it. Let me read it in verse 37. So 2 Kings 4, 37. This is after her son has been miraculously brought back to life. She fell at his feet and bowed before him. Now, this is... Elisha, but imagine this was you and God. Bow before him. An amazing experience. Just the most inexplicably beautiful, awesome experience of God. And I pray and believe and hope and ask that you will get those this year. Those encounters with God that are just so life-changing that you cannot do anything but fall at the feet of your Savior. Overwhelmed with gratitude. But here's a sentence that is the final sentence which you could just easily read over. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Many of us, myself included, would not have excused her for staying in that room just a little bit longer because that's where the promise is. That's where the good stuff happens. That's where God works. That is the good times of life. Many of us wouldn't have excused her for staying there. But we are called to leave <laughs> the comfort, leave the room and go. If we were to stay in that place of blessing, now I'm not saying your life isn't going to be full of blessings, but if we were to stay where life was comfortable, where life was easy, where everything just worked and fitted in its place, and, and you, you, know, you, were, you were basking in God's presence all day, every day, you felt as if you were in heaven, <laughs> What about the people outside of the room that need a touch from heaven? What about your friends and colleagues and neighbors and your family who need you to go out of that room and explain to them what happened in that place? What about the people in your world that need to hear the good news? You can be the one that carries them. You, this layer of discipleship in many ways requires a huge amount of trust You've got to trust God that it's going to be okay when you step over that threshold and that place of security, that place of safety, that place where everything was good. And you've got to go again. 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 And you've got to keep going. And you've got to go and find someone. You've got to go and get down and dirty and messy. And you've got to go and get hurt again. You've got to go and get smashed around by the waves again. And, and you've got to go in the wilderness. You'll get hungry. You'll get tempted. You'll get through some difficult circumstances. You'll go through death. You'll go through bereavement. You'll go through financial mis- problems. All this stuff. But you've got to leave the room. And that's a layer of discipleship that I think we, we can all aspire to we can all at times cling to Jesus' feet and say Jesus I never ever want to let go 
sometimes we've just got to let go and allow ourselves to be hurt, allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We're called to go. So I'm going to pray. I pray for um, a couple of people. I'm there. I like that message. I've been holding it in for 18 months and I finally get the chance to just like a balloon. So the question is, and this could be for somebody who isn't a Christian in the room, but it could be for someone who is a Christian. 2017, have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you made Jesus regularly welcome in here? Is he allowed in? And I want to pray for people. And maybe that's you. I also want to pray for some people who need to create some space to expand, to allow God to dwell and work in your life. I also want to pray for people and ask you the question, do you have a need in which you need to bring to the place of promise and trust for provision? And that could be all of us. and possibly ticking everyone's box here and now. Have you moved, question four, have you moved on and moved out when God has worked the miracle in your life? Maybe some of you in the room just need to Forget what happened six years ago when you had this amazing encounter with God. That was in the past. You now need to move on. So should we get to our feet? I'm going to pray and then I'll finish. Um, I'm going to pray all, I guess, all four of those points and those layers. um, And perhaps if you want to make the first invite into allowing Jesus into your life and say, you know what? I need a companion. I need Jesus to visit my life today. Now, if that is you and you think, oh, I really just want, I want to pray with someone. I'm going to make myself available at the end and we might do something at the end, but I want you you to come to me and I'll pray for you. If you want to make, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to make a decision today for the first time, I would do that with you happily at the beginning of this year. But I'm going to pray for all of us in this room because hopefully somewhere on that spectrum, somewhere in that diagram, somewhere one of those layers resonates with you. So God, I thank you. And it's probably quite appropriate given the next song, but do you want to lift your hands? If you feel comfortable lifting your hands, lift your hands as if you are surrendering to Jesus. And as if you are kind of in, in some physical way responding. Often in church we'll say, anyone want to respond? And we ask you to put your hand up. Why don't we all put our hand up or in some way respond physically and in our hearts? Lord, I pray, God, that each of us in this room would have that desire to invite you into our life. God, to keep our lives and our houses and our temple tidy. God, so that you are welcome. God, when things are messy, would we not be ashamed? Would we not be guilty? But God, will we simply invite you again? Jesus, and allow ourselves to, be, to receive your forgiveness. Jesus, for people in this room, and it probably includes all of us, God, who need to create space for something different. Routine isn't always good, but Lord, I pray that we would all do something different this year. God, we'd build an extension. We'd create something and build something into our life that will cause us to grow this year, much like you did in this, the previous year, Lord. And Lord, I pray for, particularly for people, God, who have a need right now. 
God, it might be their arms getting tired. <laughs> but Lord, for those, God, who have a need, God, as they put it in the place of provision, God, would you meet that need? God, and would you perform the miraculous? God, perform the unheard of, the, the whatever they need right now, God, would you be that answer? Whatever I need right now, God, would you be that solution? And God, for any of us in this room that are stuck, we're stuck in a place of abundance. We're stuck in a place where we, we're comfortable and we're happy and things seem to be going right. Lord, would you give us that confidence and the ability to trust in you to step out and to go downstairs and to leave the room to move on. And as we go, would we, would we declare the good news to those around us? In your name, Jesus. Amen.